Once again, good morning. Uh, today we will complete the last of Jesus' commands in the four Gospels. Pastor Lee began this series by reminding, of the, reminding us of the Great Commission found in Matthew's Gospel to go and make disciples of all nations. And then from Mark's Gospel, I said we are sent by God to preach the good news to all creation and we are sent with signs demonstrating God's power. Pastor Emmanuel then asked the important question, what are we waiting for? You know, indeed, there's nothing to wait for except for the empowerment of God's Spirit. And so today, we come to the Gospel of John. Let me read from John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate a kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumors spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say uh, that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this word. And for some of us, it's a familiar passage. But Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, you reveal your truth. Once, a, once again afresh to us and more importantly convict us to be true followers and disciples of Jesus Christ give us that power through the power of the Holy Spirit Amen so today being confirmation reception to membership is important that we talk about discipleship again our commitment to Jesus just as a starter you know what is Jesus' favorite brand of shampoo? very good follow me that's right <clears throat> Sorry for the lame joke, but indeed, that is our call as disciples of Jesus Christ uh, to follow Him. Uh, it's not just for those who have uh, professed confirmation today, but also for all of us, it's a reminder that we are called to follow Jesus. And if you look at the passage again, Jesus gave the command, not once, but twice, to follow Him. Uh, uh, yeah, to follow him. And He asked the question, do you love me, three times. And on all three occasions, Peter does reply, Lord, you know I love you. But why did Jesus ask Peter the same question three times? Isn't it redundant? Well, most scholars and pastors agree that it's because Jesus wanted to reaffirm Peter. Remember, Peter denied him three times. And so just to reaffirm his love for him, he gave him three opportunities to profess his love for his Lord. However, by the third time, as you can imagine, Peter was very grieved. I mean, his denial took place over one night. He denied Jesus three times, but it took place over one night. But here we have Jesus asking him face to face three times, Do you love me? 
And so, of course, by the third time, Peter really felt very sad, as if, you know, Jesus didn't really understand what Peter was saying. It's a very painful process uh, for Peter to go through, although Jesus meant it very well as a time of redemption, that just because, you know, you denied me three times, it's not the end of your world. Now I give you three opportunities to reaffirm your, for, your dedication to me. In the English, it seems like a redundant process, you know, love, 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 love. But in the Greek, actually, there are several nuances in this dialogue. When Jesus asks, do you love me? The word love there is uh, linked to the word agape, which we are familiar with. It means unconditional love. So Jesus asks Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Peter's reply is actually, Lord, I love you. Phileia, it's a different Greek word linked to the word phileia, which is more like a comrade kind of love, a brotherly kind of love. Lord, you know I love you like a brother, like a real brother. It's still an honourable type of love, but it is not unconditional. And so Peter in effect says, Lord, you know, I know how much you've done for me. I love you deeply as a brother, but I cannot fully confess that I love you unconditionally. Some pastors make it a huge distinction between these two words, agape and phileia, that Peter's love falls far short of Jesus' standard of love. But I don't think that's the main point. Rather, I think Peter is painfully aware of his shortcomings. In the past, he was rash, impulsive. That's why he said, Lord, wherever you go, I will follow you. I will even die for you. Right? That's Peter in the past. But now, he's more aware, he's honest about himself, what he can do, he's down to earth, he's humble. And so he answers honestly, Lord, you know I cannot say I love you unconditionally. But I want to tell you, I do love you very deeply, like a brother. So philia is still a very good kind of love. As an aside, I just want to say there are several other Greek words for love. I put it up on the screen. The words highlighted, circled in red, are the bad words in love in the Greek language. The good ones are highlighted in blue. So the bad types of love include eros, from which we get the English word erotic. Maniac, uh, made from the Greek word mania, our uh, English word maniac is a bad kind of love also. Ludus, uh, from which we get our English word ludic, ludicrous, a playful, superficial kind of uh, love, which is driven by lust and wrong desires. There are good types of love, however. There's philia, the deep friendship, the one that Peter is confessing to Jesus. Imagine going through life together at the end, say, this is my real friend, my deep friend. And then there is agape, which you really know, that selfless, unconditional love. Pragma, the long-standing, understanding love between a long marriage, between a couple. You know, you see each other's uh, uh, ups and downs, uh, true life's ups and downs. You know all their strengths and weaknesses, and yet you stand together. That's pragma. And then there's philodia, which is a healthy kind of self-love. Not narcissistic, just thinking about yourself, but taking care of yourself well so that you can take care of others around you, a healthy kind of self-esteem. And then the storge driven by commitment and choice. So it's a decision, a familial love, love for babies, children and pets. It's a good kind of love. So these are the various words used in the Greek for our simple English word love. And of course, as Christians, we know the three bad forms of love must be avoided. Right? While well, the good forms of love are to be celebrated, and it's not just love between married couples, but also love for parents, love for family, love for friends, love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the kinds of love that we should celebrate and honor. Since there are many young people in our midst, let me just say here that we need to differentiate between likes and love. 
Just because we look up to someone, we like them, we admire them, or we respect them, doesn't mean we have to get into a relationship with them. It's called infatuation, right? Uh, That kind of thing. Uh, So, and even if we don't get married, there are many other good kinds of love that we need to celebrate as Christians. And above all, whether we are married or single, we need to remind ourselves that all of us are unconditionally loved by God. And God expects us also to love others unconditionally as we are loved. But returning to our text, Peter says he loves Jesus with a philea type of love, as a brother. For me, when I read this account, it really uh, encourages me because it shows that Peter has grown, has matured in his understanding. But more importantly, it shows me that Jesus is very understanding of us, of our journey of faith. He does not demand that we love him unconditionally alone, but he recognizes where we are and accepts us for who we are because Jesus says, replies by saying, since you love me as a brother, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Again, if we don't read the text carefully, we might miss out the nuances, but in reality, Jesus' reply has three levels. First, he says to Peter, feed my lambs. Lambs, as you know, are the young of the sheep and they are the most vulnerable group. And so, of course, Jesus is most concerned for the young believers, right? Maybe some of them are here in our midst today as they receive confirmation, new believers in the faith. Jesus says, please take care of my sheep, the lambs, these young ones. So that's the first concern of Jesus' heart and he tells Peter that. And then he says, the, the, the next time he replies, he says, tend my sheep or take care of my sheep. In English as well as in Greek, it is a more comprehensive term. Uh, it's not just feeding them, but it's to take care of their entire well-being, from looking after them when they're injured, nursing them back to health, to go out to look for them when they're lost, protect them from wolves. So it's a very all-encompassing word. <laughs> Finally, Jesus says, feed uh, my sheep. This is possibly the most important task of every shepherd, which is to ensure that the sheep are well-fed, bring them to green pastures so that they may feed themselves and be well-fed. So all in all, if you put the three together, Jesus' instructions to Peter really can be summarized as this. If you really love me, Jesus says, if you really love me, then you will be concerned about what I'm concerned about. And what I'm concerned about, Jesus says, are my sheep, God's people. That's always on God's heart. His people. So as your pastor, it's my duty to ensure that you are led to green pastures and are well fed. So for 2020, I hope to ramp up the pulpit teaching and DNN discipleship nurture courses so there's more of a spiritual buffet. However, I must say that it's useless providing all this buffet if the sheep are not hungry. And to be honest, many of us, I think, are too full with snacks from the world. TV, Facebook, Netflix, so much so that we have no more appetite for the no more spiritual appetite for the word of God. How many of us can genuinely say we read the Bible for ourselves on a daily or even a weekly basis? And I'm not talking about Sunday sermons huh, or cell groups. If you take away Sunday sermons and cell groups, how many of us read our Bibles for ourselves? I have provided for you in the church journal a Bible reading plan in the past few years actually, right? How many of us actually take time to read on God's Word for ourselves, to feed on it? I hope you don't see me as lecturing you, but even if I am indeed lecturing you, it's because I'm concerned. As a parent is concerned for the child's nutrition, I'm concerned for all of us 
our spiritual nutrition. Are we reading the Word of God? Are we feeding on the Word of God? That's our source of life. To those of you who helped me to shepherd the flock, the CGLs, the teachers of God's Word, thank you very much for helping to feed the sheep. But please go one step further, challenge them, inspire them to read God's Word for themselves, and together as a church we can mature as the believers of Christ, as we all feed on God's Word individually for ourselves, and together as the body of Christ. And so with that, we come to the end of the first point of today's sermon, that if we truly love Jesus and we desire to follow Him, we must be concerned about what God is concerned about. That is, the Word of God being fed to the people of God. So each of us need to be concerned about that. The second point that we want to hear from today's sermon is this, and it goes with the passage. After Peter is told to feed the sheep, Jesus says to him, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, Follow me. Let me ask you all a riddle. What is born and begin life, begins life with four legs, but then grows up with two legs and finally ends up with three legs? Oh, very good. A human being. The third leg is the walking stick. But no offense to the seniors in our midst because I'm going to join you uh, eventually, right? But, but here, Jesus relates to Peter the realities of life. When we were young, the young people in our midst, right? You go wherever you want. You dress however you want. You ignore your parents like this video we saw earlier. He refused to listen to the father. Don't go to the bad place. He decides to go into the bad place anyway. And then when we are old, we see this very often in senior elderly folks with dementia and Alzheimer's. They stretch out their hands. Someone else dresses them, whether it's their children or the maid. And they go on wheelchairs to places they do not want to go. But the point that Jesus is making here to Peter is not so much describing what is real in the physical realm, but more importantly, true and should be true in the spiritual realm. As a young and impulsive believer, Peter did whatever he wanted. Lord, I want to step out onto the boat. I want to join you on the waves. Lord, I confess you as Jesus as Lord and Savior. But Jesus says when Peter matures in the faith, he will no longer do whatever pleases him, whatever he wants to do. But instead, Peter, as a mature believer, will simply do whatever God wants him to do. In other words, the one who truly follows God is not concerned about what concerns him or herself. Peter, tradition tells us, was also crucified. But unlike Jesus, Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he felt it was unfitting, unworthy for him to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. The young, impulsive Peter fled from persecution. He denied Jesus three times. But the mature Peter embraced persecution. The young, impulsive Peter embraced life. But the mature Peter embraced death. The young, impulsive Peter followed his own desires. But the mature Peter followed God's desires, God's plan for his life. So much so that he was willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. So question for reflection. Where are we on our journey of faith? Are we still young and choosing to go wherever we want? Or are we beginning to mature and willing to go wherever Jesus wants us to go? 
May God help us all, myself included, to be willing to be led by Jesus, to be mature, let Him dress us wherever He wants and bring us to wherever He wants, even if it means persecution and crucifixion on the cross. So that's the second point, not to be concerned about what happens to us, but to be concerned about what God is concerned about. And finally, in the last part of the scripture today, we hear about Peter turning around to see this disciple following. Who is this disciple whom Jesus loved who follows? We recognize this uh, passage in John chapter 13. Let me t- go to that passage, John chapter 13 on the slide. He says there, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. This is the night of the Last Supper. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another and at a loss to, who, to know which he, of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So here we have the, the retelling of the Last Supper scene. Peter was there. Next to Peter actually is Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never called himself John in the whole gospel, but he gave himself this pseudo name, huh? the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then he was the one leaning next to Jesus. So Peter tells, asks uh, John, Hey, can you ask Jesus, who is the guy who is going to betray you? And so John is the one who leans on Jesus and asks the question, Lord, who is it? And so when G- Peter turned around and saw John, and John e- described himself in such an elaborate manner, uh, but basically it's still John. Ah, okay, so, and then uh, Peter asks, Lord, what about him? That's when Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive, what is that to you? If Jesus was Singaporean, his, pro- his reply would probably be, Bochap him. Leave him alone. That's none of your business. Leave him alone. That's none of your business. John, according to tradition, was the last apostle to die. He probably knew about Peter, his good friend's death by crucifixion. Tradition says he died at the ripe old age of 93 or 94 years old, exiled alone on the island of Patmos. And the Gospel of John was the last to be written. And that's why he wrote verse 23 to dispel all these rumors. The rumors spread among the believers that this particular disciple John will not die. But Jesus did not say that he will not die, but merely asked the question, hypothetical question, if I want him to remain, what is that to you? So John, as he wrote the gospel, he's trying to clarify that he Jesus did not say that he will not die. Instead, the whole point of Jesus' statement to Peter is very simple. It's none of your business. And that's why he tells Peter the second time, you follow me. In summary, the one who loves God, God invites us to love him, remember? The one who follows God has three things, three tasks set before him and her, not to be, to be concerned about what concerns God. We need to be concerned about what God is concerned about, and God is always concerned about people, his sheep. Number two, we are not to be concerned about what concerns ourselves. In Peter's case, he was not to be concerned about the way he would die, which is why the verse says this would indicate the kind of death he would glorify God because he would glorify God through his crucifixion. And finally, Peter is not to be concerned about what concerns others. In his case, it's John. One of the great malaises of our discipleship is that we often compare ourselves to others. ABC also not serving what? Why must I serve God? X, Y, Z only serving as an usher. Why must I serve as a CGL? 
so and so is not doing this what? so why should I do the same if only we recognize you know that God's call to each of us is unique and different we are not to compare with each other just give you an example which do you think is worse to be crucified upside down or to be exiled on an island for many years all by yourself to die in loneliness and old age who thinks it's worse to be crucified raise your hands who thinks it's worse uh, to be exiled all by yourself so we see different hands being raised right the very fact that we have such different responses already show us that our discipleship journey is different so we should not compare with other people why is this person going through this why they got called me through to do that because our discipleship paths are different so let's stop comparing with others it's not about us it's not about others it's all about following Jesus Jesus says in Luke 9.23 whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me that's the call from Jesus to all of us for so many people following Jesus is to simply read the benefits of his death and resurrection which are true but we often fail to heed the call to discipleship if you truly want to follow Jesus it must be holistic yes God is good he gives many good gifts to his children but at the same time as Dietrich Bonhoeffer the German theologian says when Christ calls a man come he bids him come and die and this is a man who truly lived out what he said because he stood up against Adolf Hitler and eventually he died because he stood up against the, uh, the Nazis. He said the church cannot partner with you to kill Jews. Although most of his friends did that, as clergymen and church did that, but he said no, according to the word of God, it's wrong. And so he stood up for the faith and he was martyred. When we come to church today or other Sundays, do we come with a consumeristic mindset? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but sometimes you know we come to church thinking to ourselves, did the sermon speak to me today? If yes, it's a good sermon. It's a good service. Was the worship engaging? Yes, it's a good service. But sorry to ask this very important question, and direct and blunt question, but since when was coming to church about you? Since when was it about you? It's about God. Coming to church is an act of discipleship and commitment. First, to praise and honour God who saves us. And second, to encourage brothers and sisters in the faith. These are the two main purposes of church. What we can gain is supposed to be last on the agenda if, there's, it's, if it should even be on the agenda at all. So this Karim Sunday, Confirmation Reception Membership Sunday, I hope we are reminded that to follow God means that we are concerned about what God is concerned about. We are not to be concerned with ourselves and not to be concerned with others. Let me close with this final story. Once upon a time, there was a fire in a small town. The fire brigade rushed to the scene, but the firemen were unable to get through to the burning building. There were people trapped on this, in this burning building and they were shouting for help, 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 help. But somehow the firemen couldn't go through. Why? Because they were blocked. The problem was that there was a group of people who had gathered not to watch, but to help put out the fire. And they all knew the fire chief very well. The children had climbed over his fire engines during the excursions to the fire station. The fire chief was friendly. Everybody loved him. 
And so when the fire broke out, everybody rushed there to help the fire chief. Unfortunately, the townsfolk were seeking to extinguish the raging inferno with water pistols. They would stand there from time to time squirting their pistol into the fire while making casual conversation. Uh, so how was the F1 weekend? Psst, 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 psst. Oh, how was the soccer game last night? Psst, 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 psst. What did you eat for breakfast? Psst, psst, psst. The fire chief couldn't contain himself and he started screaming at the townsfolk. What are you doing? What on earth do you think you're achieving with these water pistols? Oh, the people panicked. They realized the urgency of the situation and they wanted to help the fire chief. So they started squirting even more. Come! Psst, psst, psst. We can do better. Come on, let's do better. Exasperated, the fire chief yells, Get out of here. You're achieving nothing except hindering us from doing what needs to be done. What we need are firemen who are ready to give themselves, to give everything to put out this fire, people willing to put their lives on the line to go into the fire to save the people. This is not the place for token contributions. This is not the place for token contributions. The story was told originally by Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, and he was urging us to realize that discipleship to Christ means a lot more than just token levels of support to the church and God's mission to the world. It calls for wholehearted and total life commitment. Yes, we may not be ready to say, Lord, I love you unconditionally. But God still expects us to follow Him. The world is dying. We have the gospel of life. We have a dying world to save. So let us lay aside our water pistols and follow our chief shepherd, the chief fire chief, into the fire to save lives. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today, even if it may sound harsh. But we thank you that you give us grace to hear a word, to wake us up from our slumber. Lord, we thank you that when you give your word to follow you, while it is a command, but Lord, we recognize that every time your word goes forth, your spirit empowers it to give us grace so that we may obey it. Lord, you also know where we are in our own discipleship journey. Some of us not so willing yet uh, to follow you wholeheartedly, but you are patient with us. So thank you, Lord, for your grace. But at the same time, Lord, we ask that you stir us up so that we not be complacent by taking this Christian faith for granted, but to be thankful for all that you have done to us and to express that thanks through wholehearted commitment to follow you wherever you may go. So we ask for your spiritual grace to give to us as we hear your word today. Help us, importantly, not to be hearers of your word alone, but be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.